Hello, Brian, how are you? John, I'm doing great, how are you? Good, good. Brian, it's uh, been a long time since we last spoke. Can you just, uh, for the audience, describe what your business is all about and what your role is within that business? Sure, well, um, John, I'll, I'll kind of come at you with two businesses. Um, I've been in the logistics business for a long time now. Uh, company is Jetco Delivery, based in Houston, Texas. And we actually sold the company a year ago um, to uh, the GTI group based in Montreal. So I'm GTI's executive vice president. I'm also uh, chief operating, I mean, chief executive officer for Jetco Delivery. So running a cross-border asset-based trucking company and freight brokerage company. And then also kind of, uh, I, as you know, because we work together, I still write and speak and, and get involved in consulting on the topics of company culture and safety culture. So um, I stay busy. Good. And Brian, your background, you were a lawyer in America and you also went through uh, waste management mm -hmm. and you also owned another company prior to Jetco. What was the catalyst? What was that trigger figure that made you suddenly realize it was leadership in safety that made the difference for the success of a business? Yeah, I think, I think it was an evolution. I mean, I've always been interested in leadership. Um, and, and for some reason, safety seemed to be kind of this magical, you know, uh, kind of not well understood concept to me. I, I, early on in my career, I thought it was rules, regulations, handbooks, policies. It's really not. I mean, your ability to lead people safely is just a subset of your ability to lead people. I mean, can you imagine a company with a bad safety culture that's well run? And similarly, can you imagine a company where safety is just non-negotiable core value, but the company is poorly run, there's no leadership. So I've basically been able over the years to refine and develop my ability to lead an organization and lead people safely um, at the same time, because I've learned that Anyone really, if I can do it, anybody can do it in terms of leading people safely. You don't need a technical skill. You need the passion and the focus. You need to have your values straight so that nothing, including productivity and production pressure, will interfere with safety. Um, and besides the fact that it's the right thing to do for your employees and for the public, um, it's the lowest cost, highest value investment you can make. Um, if you think safety is expensive, consider the opposite. On top of that, if you don't run a safe organization, um, you have no way of attracting the best customers. The best customers no longer want to work, no longer will work with rogue operators. All I can say is, uh, well, Brian, there's an awful lot of nuggets even in that statement. And I think the thing that really pours out of it is this challenge of understanding the necessity of values. Where do values come from in your mind? Well, you know, they, they, they need to come from 
the company's leadership. But it's not like, you know, you're on top of the mountain giving, you know, the commandments to the team. I don't, I don't look at it that way. I think that what you have to do is distinguish between values and priorities. Um, values are the glue that binds the company together. Um, and priorities, on the other hand, shift by the day. So I can come in today with a list of things to do and, um, you know, the wind blows. I get a phone call. I've got a customer problem. My priorities shifted. Priorities can shift. They should shift. It's part of the joy of being in business. Values are immutable. So, you know, we see these signs up that say safety is our priority. John, tear the damn sign down. Safety is not a priority. Safety is a core value. So values, values don't change. Priorities do. So you have to lead from a set of values, and people will follow your lead. Um, and quite frankly, for those that don't share the same set of values, um, they don't belong in the company. You coach, you train, you bring people along, but at some point, you know, if, if integrity is a value, and hopefully it is for most companies, and you have a team member that doesn't want to play by that and doesn't want to practice integrity, why, why are they working for you? But the worst thing possible is, is to um, preach and not practice. So, you know, if I'm saying respect is a value, that I'm treating all my people like garbage, I've lost all my credibility. So as a leader, I've got to define the values, infiltrate them, and then live them and model them. If I don't do any of those, it's, it's almost not worth, not worth trying because you're going to lose all your credibility and you're going to, you're going to look appropriately so disingenuous. Once again, there's an awful lot of information. <laughs> so we're doing this kind of, con you know, kind of concentrated, kind of getting a lot out in a little time. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, so culture. How important is culture in regards to defining the values within a business and setting it aside from this other topic of priorities? Well, your culture is your everything. It's who you are. Um, and people tend to get, people tend to, you know, really confuse and complicate the concept of culture. I mean, there's a lot of people that like to make a, make a meal out of a snack. Um, culture, if you have a healthy culture, it's nothing more than the convergence of the right people and the right process working in harmony. Culture is the right people, the right process. You're not going to have a culture with, with one or the other, it's both. Um, and it's what makes you different. I mean, the odds are, you know, you and I are talking in our respective businesses and the people that you're gonna share this podcast with, we're all in the same boat. Our clients can get our product or service from somewhere else um, and they might be able to get it somewhere else cheaper. I mean, who wants to be the cheapest on the block? Not me. So your culture is the ultimate differentiator. If you live and breathe a culture, if you've got a well-defined culture, it's what sets you apart. And, you know, I ask people, are you the lowest price competitor? And they'll say no. And I'll say, well, why would I buy from you? Because of how we do things, because of our service, because of how we treat our customers, et cetera. All they're saying is it's our culture. It's our culture is what makes us different. So it's a, strategic decision it's got bottom line implications people tend to start thinking it's kind of 
campfire stuff, cultures, feel good, fuzzy stuff. Well, there is a feel good component to it, honestly, but as business people, we got to look at the, at, at the return on our effort. And again, like a safety culture, a general company culture is the lowest cost, highest return investment you can make. It's what decommoditizes you. It's what sets you apart from the path. Okay, here's a question for you. When I talk to other business owners about the measurement of culture and having that bottom line beneficial result, the question that I come back with there is how do we measure that? Because that's not something that is normally measured within business. Well, it, it, there's a couple of ways I would answer it. There, there are really good companies out there that will do employee surveys. They're all geared around culture. So yeah, you, you can, you can measure that and you can measure, you know, with pulse surveys, you can measure, whether you're making progress or not, and, and you should. But let's say you don't want to. Your general metrics are more important. In other words, if you're building a healthy culture, okay, you're gonna see it in your financial statements. You're gonna see it in your insurance losses. And in, in your, you're gonna see it in employee, unwanted employee turnover. I mean, well, I, well, I like the surveys. I like the culture surveys um, and I've used them successfully. Um, if you had to take something away from me, take that away and give me my basic metrics, whatever my KPIs are to measure my business, a healthy, engaged culture will ultimately show up. It's not going to show up in one quarter. You got to be patient. You got to work at it. But that, that's where it really is, is, is if you're outperforming the benchmark, if you're, outperform, if you're better today than you were yesterday, um, uh, that that's where you see it i think in, in your core metrics is it a is it a practice or is it a discipline brian it's both i mean it's more of a discipline i think in other words look we've all got bad days we all have bad days we all say things we regret um you know i've had some choice words in the past and so you've got to hold yourself accountable you've got to be disciplined um it, it's a practice, but because we're always, you know, it's, the word practice implies we're, we never get it right. We're always learning, and that's true. But I don't want to make it sound like you need a special degree or a spe special background. I mean, um, some of my competitors who I've watched, who I really respect, are guys that came up, like in trucking, they came up, they had a couple trucks and a couple more trucks and a couple more trucks. So they, they, they learned how to treat people the, you know, the right way from, from building their own business small. So it is a practice, but you don't, it's not like I have to have a degree or special training because it's all how you treat people. It's all how you show up. It's all how you act and how you communicate. I think we're talking about a conflict between hard data and soft data and where you're, going to or the journey you've been on for Jetco and all your people, you've got this magical mix of hard data and soft data together and you found the perfect balance. Yeah. How, how have you seen that reflected in the success of your business? 
Well, number one, you've, you've got to surround yourself with people that complement your skills and, and are stronger than, than you in certain areas. So your hard data, soft data conversation, I mean, I tend to be, I tend to function a little bit more intuitively. Um, I'm, 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 I'm good with words. Uh, I can get my way through financial statements just fine, but not, not the way that other people can. So our, our company's president has a financial background. Um, he's a hard data guy. He's a metric guy. And so we joke a lot that, you know, he takes the Excel spreadsheet. I take the word document. We meet in the middle. And, and so, um, you need to be to succeed in business. I think you need to be good at hard data and soft data, but you know, know where your, know where your strength is. We always, I think we always worry about, well, here's what I'm weak at. So, um, how do I fix my weaknesses? And, and that's just wrong. I mean, yeah, we all, we want to grow, but I'd rather build my strengths, play to my strengths and surround myself with people who are stronger than me in the areas where I know I'm not good. I'm, I'm not going to be a CPA period. And God help anybody that had me do that. So, um, I think it's a matter of you got to do this with hard data and soft data, but that said, we're in such a data driven world right now. You've got to rely on your intuition a little bit. Trust your instinct. Ryan, you've got a very, had built, created a very successful business in the transport industry, which is here in New Zealand. It's, it's a hard industry with hard men and your, your character is not of the norm within that within that industry and yet you've been able to bring your empathy your gentleness into a hard industry and made it made it a success and grown your business how long did it actually take you to recognize that the skills that you have actually are making a difference to Jetco deliveries? Well, so I bought Jetco in 2006 and sold it in 2019, but I'm still running it. I'm still very involved with it. Um, you know, for the first couple of years I got, got into the business, um, I certainly didn't have a lot of self-confidence. Um, you know, you're kind of new, kind of a rookie, but all of a sudden, you know, you realize that your playbook works. Um, you know, one of the people uh, that was there at the time of the acquisition, and she's still there, um, said, man, when you bought this place, I thought they were going to, you know, um, you know, you know, kind of eat you up and spit you out. And like, no, I mean, because, you, you know, I, I, I like to lead with, with empathy. I like to lead people the right way but in any business look it's business and and you you know if if, if you've got to make a tough decision you know you got to make a tough decision you know um sur surgeons get paid to cut people to make people better <laughs> so yeah. it, it really over the years you know it, you you just learned how to and i knew that before i even bought the company and so it didn't really bother me to have to make those hard decisions but i prefer not to i prefer to uh appeal to people's best instincts, but if it doesn't work, I know what to do. And, you know, I, I can, I can play hardball with the best of them if I have to. Waste management 
what did waste management teach you in regards to playing hardball? Well, um, a lot. I mean, look, so I was, went from practicing law to working in a privately held recycling company. They were crazy enough to offer me the job as their chief operating officer when I was 31, just having practiced law. And I was like, oh, I'm taking that. We built that company, sold it to waste management. I was only at waste for a couple of years. And then I decided I wanted to go buy my own company. But while I was at waste, um, first of all, uh, I got there about two years after a new CEO came in. And um, he had inherited a financial mess. He was hired to turn the company around, and, and he did. Um, waste management's a great organization. A uh, couple things I learned. First of all, um, world-class safety. They went from worst to first in safety. And my mentor, this guy named Jim Schultz, we co-wrote our book together, Leading People Safely. Mm -hmm. um, and so I learned a lot about, you know, kind of like we, Jim and I would joke uh, about, you know, a bonfire with, with the handbooks, right? That's about how you treat people. I learned about internal branding, um, having kind of a safety, safety brand. Um, you know, I also learned that, that you know, uh, look, when I saw our CEO turn around, I mean, turn the company around, he led from a position of value. Uh, he led a company through crisis. And quite frankly, there was a lot of people who rebelled. You know what? They're gone. He got rid of them fast because nobody's going to win everybody. And the faster you can get rid of the people who are actively working against you, the faster you can get rid of the people whose mindset is we've always done it this way, um, the, the faster you can affect corporate and or safety change. Well, so I, I, you know, watching that company transition, watching the quality of leadership, um, and the true passion that people had for doing their jobs, but doing it safely. It was, it was it's a great organization. Okay. So I've written down some notes here and uh, whilst you've been talking and you mentioned a point of difference for a business, you mentioned the necessity to have values as the bottom line foundation of, of a business. And you also mentioned that culture also enhances that point of difference, but it comes from fundamentally the values of the business. You also said that if you have a, a sign on the wall saying uh, safety is our priority, rip it down because priorities change during the day but your values do not they are they are set in concrete that's your foundation to stand from this challenge of having differences or having your business seen as different and special to the market that you're trying to attract is such a vital ingredient so would it be right in saying that in actual fact it's your values although it's the setting concrete that's your golden egg it is and because put, I mean, and you can put everything else around it yeah no, nobody can take those away from you absolutely um, but your values need to be 
it's not just an, it's not enough for the leader to talk about him or, or even to model his or her behavior around him, but it has to be employee owned. So you've got to get people on board who share those values. You know, I mean, we've had, I've got a lot of team members who um, came from hellacious companies, right? And, it, and so if you've, if you've been in some hellhole work there, you really appreciate it. Um, you've had plenty of people that, you know, they, they kind of get, they kind of start to take it for granted and they think the grass is greener somewhere else. So go try it out. And a lot of them want to come back at one point or the other. They may not, they may not knock on the door, but you get a whisper at midnight, Hey, do you still want so-and-so back? And you know, once in a while I'll say yes, depending on the circumstances, usually the answer is no. I mean, um, we, you know, we, we, we're, we're, we're proud of what we do and we, we want people who are, uh, lined up with that i think isn't the word loyalty well yeah loyalty to the values not i mean i've got to be careful not loyalty to me because you know it's um i don't think it's necessarily about the leader i've got to build a company that would last way beyond me that's my goal that's always been my goal is to build a professional company so i want people who are loyal to the organization people who support our values who hold each other to a higher standard than our competition um and they, they like an environment of continuous improvement if i don't you know we don't want people where it's we've always done it this way uh kind of a complacent attitude um there's there's just no upside to that so i know what a good keeper looks like and the other thing i find out i find is that our best employees are attracted by existing employees because they, they know who's gonna fit and they know who's not gonna fit and they wanna recommend good people. Um, so we, our, our, best, our best team members absolutely come from referrals. So there's a question in here, which I'm just trying to uh, come to terms with. If you were to create an immune system within your business what would be the components of that immune system and just for the purpose of informing the listeners when i talk about having an immune system i'm looking at and referring to a human cell as as a as an analogy a human cell has different components within it and because of the well-being of the cell and its health it is actually able to create its own antibodies to fight off those threats from a, from it's outside the cell but also those issues that are within the cell what would you say would be your primary building blocks if you wanted to create an immune system within your business and i think you already have an immune system and it works so perfectly well because you've got the overall total well-being of the business and it's growing and it's successful so what would you say were your immunity building blocks well first of all you got to guard the gates um so when we're bringing in potential new hires 
you know, we've got culturally aligned people that do the interviews. So it's not, you know, hiring is not just the function of one person or an HR department. We want several people to put their eyes on the new candidate to be sure that they, they fit. So a lot of times we'll have people who, who come through our doors. They're technically good. You know, technically they, they can do the job, but our, our team of frontline employees that interviewed that person will say, no, they're just not, they don't have it. Fine. I mean, they know better than I do. They, they know better than I do 10 times out of 10. And then once you've got somebody hired, just remember this, John, in a healthy culture, um, in a healthy culture, peers will organically weed out toxic behavior. So in other words, we've had plenty of situations where the team has fired the employee. All I had to do or all one of my managers had to do was get it done, you know? So um, they will weed out people because when you've got people that protect the cell, to use your term, when you, you've got people that are protecting the cell because they're proud of it, they don't, they don't want any, you know, um, people in there that, that could threaten the health of the cell. So I've seen this on many, many occasions where the team has identified bad behavior faster than I have. And so certainly we don't just fire, we coach, we try, you know, we, we bring people along, we, we give people the benefit of the doubt, we treat them the way I you know, I want you to treat me, I would treat you. But at some point you say, no mas, no more, it doesn't work. And um, it's a success, not a failure, when the team is able to vote somebody off the island. Fascinating. Um... When I was in America um, attending your seminar, I had the fortune uh, to be able to talk to some of your people. And Brian, you didn't select those people, but I had the freedom to go and talk to anybody I wanted. And for the audience, I spoke to, I suppose, five, six people. And they were primarily your frontline people. They, they were your truckies. Mm -hmm. And I asked them, what is it that keeps you with Jetco deliveries? Is it money? And they said, no. I said, well, where, where does money fit in in a scale of one to 10? And they said, well, Coming back to your first question, John, we don't want to leave Jetco because primarily Brian and the business cares. I said, cool. So where does money come in? They said about number five or six in the scale of uh, priorities to them. And so you've created a business which has got awesome people in it and you've created a sense of loyalty within your cell which actually enhances the overall well-being of the business. So if somebody such as myself comes in and asks questions, the story's the same and it's very, very solid. So would that actually be 
a necessary component of having a safety culture within a business? Well, sure. I mean, the first of all, when it comes to money, I mean, let's be, I'll be real clear. Um, you know, money is critically important, but I have the philosophy that if I underpaid, I wouldn't be able to hire anybody. If I overpaid too much, I'd be out of business. There's a market and I like to pay toward the top of the market, but there's still a market that you've got to pay within. So I'm making the assumption that, you know, the guy across the street and I, if we're doing apples to apples work, exact same kind of work and competing with each other, I'm going to pay within a range. I may be a little bit higher, maybe they're a little bit higher, but that's not what makes people move. I mean, as long as they're being paid fairly. So fair pay is the ticket to begin the conversation. If you don't have fair pay, forget about, forget about the culture, forget about everything else. But once you have fair pay established, then it's all about how you treat people. Um, and, and just like, you know, we create an experience for our customers. I want my customers to experience something different from my competition. Well, it starts with my employees. If I treat my employees right, they'll treat the customers right. It doesn't work in, in any other order. If you take care of your customers, I mean, if you take care of your employees, they take care of the customers. Um, if you trample on your employees, uh, they'll punch in, they'll punch out and they'll, they'll do what they need to, but there's not going to be that passion there. So, but again, you've, you've got to take care of your team so they can take care of the customers. And it, and it fits perfectly with safety because again, um, when people know they're cared for and they know safety is important, they'll modify their behavior accordingly. And that's what we do is, 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 you know, I keep saying, you know, the second, our second, mission, our second responsibility is to deliver cargo. Our first responsibility is to protect each other and protect the public. So safety is one of your, safety comes from the your values. Safety is your primary point of difference. But because of that, safety is also permitting you to add value to your customers, giving them that experience, but it's also increasing your margin. You're actually building your margin. Oh, sure. From within. Sure. I mean, first of all, a lot of customers, sophisticated ones, will cut people out if they're unsafe. So now you're, now you're competing with a smaller group of people but now your insurance cost is lower. So if my insurance cost is, you know, X percent lower, I've got a competitive advantage or a profit opportunity over, you know, brand X. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, safety is the right thing to do first and foremost, but there's a hardcore business proposition also. And I think if people, you know, people that think safety is expensive, well, first of all, I would say consider, the cost of accidents. If you think safety is expensive, the cost of un being unsafe is a lot more. <laughs> but on top of that, um, I really believe, John, that, that it, it gives you a competitive advantage. In my mind, safety is the hallmark of an operationally excellent company. You can't tell me that you're operationally excellent 
you know, if you're running people over and people are losing legs in your equipment, I, I don't buy it. You're not operationally excellent. Safety is the hallmark of operational excellence. Safety and operations go hand in hand. They're not like these separate distinct disciplines. So I'm, I'm, I get real annoyed with people who, um, you know, want to say, well, you know, oper what, you know you want to be safe or productive? Which do you, what, what do you want? Well, I want both. I've got to be productive and safe. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and what um, what's your famous, most favorite book, Brian? I'm probably a fan of um, Pat Lencioni, and um, his uh, he has a book called The Advantage, which I love. Um, He's written a whole bunch of books and the advantage is kind of his greatest hits book. So for somebody like me that likes to read fast, um, uh, the advantage, another book, I don't care if you, um, uh, ever open the cover, but put it on your desk. It's called employees first, customer second. Um, that keeps you prioritized that take care of your people. They'll take care of your customers. And the third that I've been, I, I love, it's called the checklist manifesto. Um, and it's just a book about, you know, one doctor's experience with eliminating errors, uh, and failures in, in the operating room with simple checklists. I don't believe in big handbooks. I don't believe in, in, you know, death by policy. I think that, that in a safe culture, you can do it with simple processes and checklists. And, and that, that book is great too. So th those are three of my favorites, but if we're talking about company culture, um, it's probably the advantage by Lencioni. Yeah. And who do you look up to as being um, a person to follow who inspires you? Um, well, you know, I mean, personally, obviously, my, uh, my parents uh, uh, would be high on that list. Uh, they, yeah. they, they'd, they'd be very high on that list. They were in business. And so I learned a lot about um, how to treat people, treat our employees through just growing up and watching how they treated people that worked in their respective um, retail operations. So that's, that's probably where I get uh, a lot of this. Um, and, you know, other than that, in the, 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 the business and political world, you know, I've got people I look up to and then uh, others, maybe not so much. <laughs> I wonder who that would be. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. And Brian, have you got any other added nuggets of gold that you would want to add for New Zealand business owners who are struggling to come to terms with saying, okay, how much is this? How much is this going to cost? Because I'm not going to see any return on my investment in regards to immediate turnover because many businesses because of this virus are shutting down. They're going through hard times. Um, and they're having to work with their people and some people have been made redundant. 
um, businesses are shutting down everywhere through fear. What are your golden nuggets to those business people that are, um, that are really quite lost? Yeah, and that's no different than um, uh, what we're experiencing here right now with, with, uh, with COVID. I mean, it's, it's, the economy is really uh, pulled back and, and I think every, most every business is, is struggling and suffering. Uh, and I, I would just say from my experience, because I've being in Houston, you know, we, we live in Hurricane Central. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know how, how that happened, but um, we, you know, Houston's just it's just a great place, but man, hurricane season can be a little edgy. Um, I've found that through times of crisis, that's when you define your character as a leader. Um, and so I know that most recently through Hurricane Harvey, um, we built brand new bonds with our people because it's easy to kind of talk about this stuff in good times, right? But in normal time, in, in bad times, in times of crisis, that's when you see how people lead. Now, I'm not comparing COVID to Harvey because hurricanes come, they go, and you rebuild. This this thing could be the bad house guest that doesn't want to leave. Um, so it's, 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 it could be a long run uh, for, for all of us. Um, and it's, it's still where I think you define your, your leadership. Um, you know, we have a lot of people that are managing with opinion. I think you need to stay fact-based. Um, uh, right now we're struggling, a lot of states are struggling with how to reopen. You know, most states have now reopened, um, but how? Um, and I think what I've learned from kind of just running a business and being, in, being around safety opportunities and safety problems for so long is I like to look at it as risk versus chance. You know, um, as we reopen, you've got to manage risk. You can manage risk. You can quantify it. You can manage it. But don't take any chances. You can't manage chance. Chance is going to Las Vegas. Chance is gambling. So I think what we've got to do is, is we have to reopen. We have to get, you know, I mean, we, we can't, we need to flatten the curve. And we've kind of in the process, we flattened the economy too. And so the economy's got to reopen. Um, how it reopens, I think, is a definition of um, how we manage risk. Are we going to be careless and just gamble, or are we going to be thoughtful? And what I'm seeing is that the real leadership here is coming in the U.S. from state state governors. Uh, it's coming from business leaders. Um, it's coming from local, you know, mayors and county officials, and and that's a good thing. Um, you know the decisions here appear to be in a little bit of a gray area, but there's some really good uh, officials who are making a mark on society right now. And business leaders have the same opportunity. I'm not trying to say this isn't tough. I mean, the, the global economy is going to take a bit to restart. Um, and some may not survive. And that's, that's scary, but you got to stay focused on, you know, one foot has to be managing the crisis, getting as lean as you can. Um, the other foot has to be um, in planning for a better tomorrow. But either way, when it comes to safety, I don't think safety is that expensive. I think, you, I think this is a chance for you to differentiate yourself, figure out who you want to be, figure out how you reinvent and redefine yourself. But again, the idea that, well, in order to do that, I've got to spend money is just plain false. Yeah. So what you're now 
referring to is this wonderful subject of pivoting to a point. So to a business owner, what questions should a business owner ask in regards to pivoting the business and pivoting their own personal direction in business? Well, I think you have to look at your markets. I mean, if, if one market is dead, not going to come back, um, see what else you can do. What other markets can you get into? Um, and you've got, you've got to be nimble that way. But when it comes to pivoting, I, I believe that if you're a business leader, it can feel pretty lonely. So you've got to put together a guiding coalition. And sometimes the guiding coalition, um, you know, we get outsiders, we get friends, advisors, lawyers, whatever, but who do we forget? We forget our frontline employees. Bring your frontline employees into your guiding coalition because they may be able to point you in a direction you'll never see. I like that term, guiding coalition. That's awesome. It's critical. It, yeah, and, and that again comes down to your values, doesn't it? And saying you value the opinion of your people that work within the business. Yeah, well, it'll be pretty arrogant of me to think I'm smarter than them because I'm not, you know. Um, maybe I can ask questions. Maybe I can pull people together and communicate. But, like, for example, Hurricane Harvey was devastating, right? But we had people working for us. I knew who they were that came to Houston after Hurricane Katrina devastated New Orleans. They moved to Houston permanently. So guess who was on our planning committee? Guess, you know, guess who was involved the whole way through? I I hadn't been through that before, but they did. And so, you know, it'd be foolish for us not to bring um, people in who had some, some background. Yeah. And so you actually created your own disaster recovery plan and business continuity plan as well. That is just part of your make business makeup. Yeah. And we updated every couple of years. It's, it's, it's a plan because you got to remember, John, that when you, when crisis hits and, Maybe it's a fire, maybe it's a storm, maybe yeah. it's a, a, some tragic accident, um, maybe it's a pandemic. You don't have, um, you, you don't want to have, you don't want to be able to think. You just want to go into action mode. So do your thinking now. If you don't have a business continuity plan, you don't need to have, it doesn't have to be a big process, right? Just, just know what your topics are, um, have it in place. Now, we didn't have COVID-19 in our business continuity plan. So we're rapidly Whoops. capturing what we've learned and the plan will be that much better. But um, there was a lot of basics in the plan, right? Like we, we were able, because, because we anticipated a fire, we were able to work remotely immediately because we knew what would happen if there's a fire. So we had all that infrastructure. We pieced together all these different um, parts of our plan and it worked out fine, but now we're just getting smarter, uh, particularly in the hygiene area, particularly, you know, in kind of health and hygiene, uh, um, stuff that I don't think any, most people at least wouldn't, wouldn't have thought of. I mean, the people that would have thought about doing what we're doing now in, in the old days, we would have called them germaphobes. Today we're calling them wise men. <laughs> so we've, we've all gotten a lot smarter. Yeah. Brian, as usual, it's been an absolute pleasure in talking to you and um, having you share your wisdom and knowledge and insight into how 
to run a business successfully and build a business successfully because you've got the proven track record to do that. And I hope that the people that are listening to this podcast will have taken a lot of notes and will possibly, hopefully, uh, go through it again and re-listen to it again because, as I said earlier, there are so many good, valuable golden nuggets in there. And when you came out in 2015, um, it was like having a breath of fresh air into a rather stale business environment. And I think you and I think very much on the same lines. So maybe this podcast will create that new, another breath of fresh air and change people's attitudes and perceptions about the direction in their, in their life and business. Well, I think, um, I, I hope so. And I think we should make a goal of, uh, getting back out to Auckland uh, in the next couple of years. I mean, I guess not so soon with air travel and international travel, no. but let's, um, let's make it a goal to do this live and in person the, the way it should be uh, in, in the next couple of years. And in the meantime, John, I appreciate your friendship and how we've stayed in touch and look forward to doing more of this. So thank you for your time. It's been, it's been a pleasure. And I hope you and everybody watching this stays, stays safe and we'll all get through this. Thank you very much. You have a good day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye.